reaping, and you throw that seed out, and then God does what God does. The seed grows, and it multiplies, and it brings about fruit. And 20 years ago, the generosity of this, tr- of this church has provided a tremendous amount of fruit. And I've told the story before that at that date, at that time when we shared, there was a gentleman in the church who knew me because my life was, I was trying to get my life right. And uh, he came to meet with me to, to have a conversation about actually giving a monetary gift to myself and to Travis to go to the school. And after we talked for a little while, he looked at me and he said, I don't think you're worth the investment. Now, some of you go, ooh, but at the time, it probably was a wise thing to think or say. In the natural terms, I, I wasn't walking well with the Lord. And Travis was a new Christian, uh, but this church took a step of faith. And all of these years later, I now am part of leading this church, uh, and that fruit has, has borne 100,000 fold. And the other guy who went, who's going to share this morning, his name's Travis. And Travis is now and has been for the last seven, eight years in Mexico serving orphans and widows, and uh, we've been supporting him. He, got, he became a Christian uh, through a relationship with, with my family in this church, and so he's going to share with you what he's up to and what he's doing in Mexico, and so would you please give a warm welcome to Travis Owen? <clears throat> now, anytime Travis speaks, somebody says, somebody says you guys look like brothers, <laughs> and uh, both of us are really offended by that. And so we would appreciate if you would keep your comments to yourself, okay? Not all bald, bearded guys look the same. And um, just take The Rock, for instance. No one, no one ever says, you and The Rock look like twins, and that's really a bummer. So anyways, Travis, get him in. <clears throat> well, good morning. It is uh, truly a blessing to be here with you guys and to provide an update on what, um, what we've been doing in Mexico. And before I get to that, I want to... Just uh, show my family, my, uh, my better half, Amber, and my kids. They're in Mexico. Kyler, who's 14, and Lexi, who's 12. Um, yeah, we're on the verge of two teenagers, so please pray for us, um, if nothing else, for that. <clears throat> but um, they're down there. They're working with the orphanages that we currently serve, and they're handling some of the ministry stuff and getting ready for back to school. Um, so I've been away from them for about two weeks. I fly back to San Diego tomorrow to be with them. I miss them. This has been the longest stretch that I've been away from them. Um, But it's been a blessing, and I'm excited to share with you a little bit about our journey, how we got to Mexico. Um, For some of you, you may have heard that before. Today, it's going to be a shorter version of that, and then a message, and then some good news about what we've been doing and what God's done in Mexico. So I mentioned that we've been there for seven years. Um, our kids were five and seven when we moved to Mexico. So it's hard to imagine now that they've spent half their life as missionary kids in Mexico, and that is more normal to us as home than it is to be here. And I was reminded of that staying at Jesse's house on this trip, and they had gone to bed, the kids were asleep, and I was getting ready for bed, and my water was empty. And so I go to the fridge, and I open it up, and I'm looking for the clean water to drink, and there's no water in the fridge. And I'm like, okay, it must be on the counter. So I'm looking on the counter for like the five-gallon purified water, and there's no water. And I'm like, man, what do these people drink? <clears throat> then I remembered I'm in Truckee, and I can just go right to the tap, and there's amazing water that is incredible. So if you see me drinking water throughout, it's not because I have cotton mouth or I'm nervous. It's I'm enjoying the Truckee water. <laughs> but um, God has called us there, and... Uh, our calling really kind of has two parts. So one, Jesse touched on it, um, is my past and my childhood. And um, for those of you that don't know me, when I was five years old, my fifth birthday, in fact, was when I found out that my father was dead and I understood the, the finality of death. He had died when I was six months old. And for some reason in my head as a five-year-old, I'd built it up that that would be the day that I would meet him. I didn't understand what death was at that point. And for some reason, I thought that this big event Um, To me, it was like the Super Bowl of birthdays that he was going to be there. And so party's going great. Everything's as normal birthday party. And my mom puts a cake in front of us and it's time to blow out the candles. And I'm hesitating. And she's like, go ahead, blow out your candles. You know, and I'm like, no, I'm waiting for my dad. And things became very awkward quickly where she had to pull me aside and explain to me, you know, the, the situation. And it was then that I understood that I would never meet my father. And 
throughout the course of my childhood, there were many different men. That, I have a younger brother and a sister. They both have different dads. Um, there was a lot of problems in and out of our, our life and our childhood, um, and largely due to the men in the life, and they were not good examples as fathers. Um, let's just put it that way. When I was 15 and a half, I had lived in 16 different homes. I had moved around. Um, I had actually lived with the principal of our high school for my sophomore year, and uh, he took me into the house, and then they were getting ready to go on vacation for the summer, and he said, you know, you've been great, you've followed the rules, um, but we're going to be gone for two months, and we can't have you stay here. And as Jesse mentioned, you know, that's a wise decision. You know, we were, uh, I was especially a, a rowdy kid and had, you know, a, a childhood where that would not have been wise to leave me in their nice house. Todd Honor. <clears throat> so, um, but I was left in this predicament where I had nowhere else to go. And so I went to work that day, and um, Sherry, or uh, Carrie Richardson came through the line, and I was working at Safeway bagging groceries, and she could see that something was off and that I was just kind of disturbed. So she asked me, you know, what's going on? And I'm like, hey, I need to find a place to live. I have nowhere to go. And so she said, you know, come see me tomorrow. I might have an option for you. And um, the short version of it is Jesse's grandparents unofficially adopted me into their house. I lived with them my junior and senior year. They started taking me to church. I got saved when I was 19 years old. And, um, and then we ended up going to the school of ministry together. And it's just really incredible looking back at all those different things that God did to allow me to be a new Christian, on fire, trying to figure out my place in the world, my calling, and then saying, you know, I want to go to this school. And I went down and checked it out, and um, Jesse's aunt had recommended and even paid for me to drive down to, to kind of test it out and check it out. So I came back and said, hey, I'm going. And he's like, well, why don't we go? And it was like six months down the road. Why don't we go then? And I'm like, no, man, I'm going in January. Like, I can't wait. I need to go. And so uh, he got on board, and we went together with another gentleman. And then, um, and, you know, you see what God has done in Jesse's life, and you'll see more of what he's been doing in my life. And <clears throat> my path went a different way after that, and I met my wife at a church, and she was involved in missions in Romania. And so she was leading a prayer table at the college youth group that I was going to, or the college group at that time. And um, so I met her. And I just, man, I thought it was so incredible that she would go for six weeks of the summer and do this amazing work with these orphans in, in Romania in some horrible situations, horrible conditions. Um, but it was so incredible. So we, we started dating. We got married. We had kids. I was working in the fitness industry and moving up the, the corporate ladder. And we had a house and all these other responsibilities. But every time missionaries spoke at our church, it was always something that tugged at my heart. And, and her heart as well, and probably even more so. And so we always wrestled and prayed with, you know, what does this look like for us to go and be missionaries? And I had a really hard time understanding that as a, trying to be a good father, trying to have, give to my kids what I never had, and then just the responsibilities of life with a career and a house and, and those kind of things. So we prayed off and on throughout our marriage. Um, I ended up switching companies. I moved to Concord and was working in San Francisco. And the church that we started attending was doing mission trips in Mexico. So my wife was like, hey, they do mission trips in Mexico. We should go. And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. You should go. <laughs> and then I was like, I'll, I'll stay home and watch the kids. I was working six days a week at that time. And then you can go and check it out for us. I wasn't quite ready for that. And, uh, and I kind of knew what it would lead to. But I said, you know, you should go and check it out. And I fully expected that she would come home and be like, let's go. It's time to move. We've been praying about it. We've talked about it. It's, it's go time. What I didn't expect was that morning, that Sunday morning while she was in Mexico, what God would do in my heart through the church service and, and through the testimony of our worship pastor. And so that was strange in itself. Like our worship, worship pastor had never spoke, you know, and he's leading worship typically. And this time he was giving his testimony. And he, in his previous life before being a Christian, was a guitar player for the REO Speedwagon and was in a famous band, got saved, and then God called him out of that. And his whole story was how God called him to take one step at a time and how he was called to walk by faith and be obedient to God. And it was just one of those messages that if you've been in church for a while, you know when you have a message that was meant for you. And that day, that message was meant for me. I had a more business-minded sense of, you know, what would missions look like? I kind of wanted a five-year plan. 
And this message made it very clear to me that that's not typically how it works. Usually not, right? It's taking that first step. So I knew we were called to do missions. Our kids were a little bit older, and I felt like if my wife comes home, then it's, it's time for us to go. And uh, so she came home, picked her up at the airport, and she's kind of easing into this thing of like, I'm like, how's the trip? And she's just very subtly laying it down, and I'm like, I know that you're excited, you're fired up, and you're ready to go. So after about 45 minutes, I'm like, so what do you really think? And she said, you know, I think we should go. I think it's time. And I said, yeah, I agree. It's time for us to go. And she was floored. She could not believe it. She's like, are you kidding me? You, you leave your career and go? And I'm like, yeah, I think that God, this is what God wants for our family. And um, the challenging part before that in the service that I really wrestled with was my children. And so as I was praying, and I'm like, I know my wife's going to want to go. I had been. I, I love missions. That's fine. But what about my kids? And as I was praying to God and, and kind of wrestling with this, I said, you know, what about my kids? And he said, those are my kids. And I gave them to you to be the steward of them. And it was just one of those moments, that, like, I'd never looked at it that, like that. I always thought of my kids as a blessing, but I never thought about it as, like, this, everything I have is God's. The breath in my lungs, it's his. And so God really just changed my whole paradigm on life. And I was holding on tight to try to be the best dad, the best father, and doing a lot of things in my own strength. And just, just holding on, and God's like, you know, be open-handed. It's all mine, and, and trust me. And if I call you to go, know that I know that these are your kids. I gave them to you, and I'll take care of it. And ultimately, what did I want for my kids was for them to love Jesus and follow him. And I felt reassured at that time that God said, if you follow me, that's the best chance your kids are going to have of them following me and loving me as well. So that's how we got started into this journey, and um, I'm going to share more about our ministry at the end of this, but I want to get into a message today, and this uh, section of scripture that I'm going to talk about is another man that was called and sent out, and it's a very um, common, you're probably familiar with it, but even if you've been in church for maybe a little while, or you've been in church for a long time, it's a very strange story. It's going to be weird for all of us, so just enjoy. (laughs) The man I'm going to be looking at today was called to go and leave his land at the age of 75 years old. And God asked for some pretty crazy things of this man. And so um, we're going to be in Genesis 22. And if I think everyone, if you need a Bible, um, just raise your hand. We can get you a Bible. But we'll be in Genesis 22. And I'm going to do a little recap before that just to kind of bring you up to speed of, of where Abraham's life was at before we get started. So Abraham was given a call from God, go out from your land, 75 years old, called to be a missionary, right? Go to a foreign land for God's sake. I will make you a great nation. You will be blessed to be a blessing. And before this time, there's no indication that Abraham had followed God or done anything with or for God up to this point. Then in Genesis 15, Abraham's given a promise, a covenant from God that he would have a son and his offspring would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. So this is 24 years from this initial promise that things start to come to fruition. And um, for any of you that are like me that have a real challenge with patience, imagine waiting 24 years. Like, I've been waiting a year and a half for the stuff that I'm going to share with you, and it seems like a crazy amount of time to wait a year and a half. I can't imagine waiting 24 years. Just the incredible amount of patience that that took. Abraham was 100 years old and his wife was 90 years old. His wife, Sarah, was 90 years old when they had their son, Isaac. Isaac's name, if you don't know, means laughter. And uh, so we know that God has a sense of humor in a 90-year-old lady having a baby. And she laughed when she heard about it, didn't believe God. And so they named him Laughter. And that's just hilarious, right? So Abraham's about to be put to a test. And this is where things get weird, right? Genesis 22. So we're going to go through verses 1 through 15. I'm going to just kind of go verse by verse. But before I start in verse 1, I want to talk about why God tests us. So the Bible says that God never tempts us to do evil or do harm, but that he does test us. And so in James chapter 1, verses 2 and 4, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials or tests, 
so that you may be, and this is verse 4, that you may be complete and mature. So God tests us in our life to make us complete and mature. He also tests us to draw him closer to him so that we rely on his strength and not our own. God's tests reveal our opportunities of strength and weakness um, and areas where we inevitably need to change to grow in our faith. So in verse 1, now it came to... Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Now I want to preface this. If, you've, if you're really familiar with this story, just be open-minded that there could be something new that you would learn or maybe that God would show you this morning. And for me, it was this, here I am in verse 1. And I've read over this numerous times, but about a year and a half ago, I found out what the Hebrew word for that was, and it's, this word, heneni, it's H-I-N-E-N-I, and it's used only eight times in the Old Testament. It's used in Exodus 3, when God is speaking to Moses through the bush, the burning bush, and it's used three times in this story. And the Hebrew translation of this word is so much deeper than here I am. One of the descriptions of it is, whatever it is you are about to ask of me, I am already ready and in agreement of it. Another definition, I am fully present in this moment in time and poised to take on my assignment. I'm prepared for immediate obedience. And finally, I'm saying yes before I even know what it is that you're requiring of me. I really like the first one. Whatever it is you're about to ask of me, I am already in agreement of it. I just think, man, what an amazing way to respond to God when he calls on you. And that just has so much depth, just in that one word. It's so good. So what does God call Abraham to do? This is the weird part, right? He says, "Take take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains in which I will tell you. Now, I look at my family, I look at my kids, I could never picture like a loving God asking me to do that. Like, that's a hard thing to comprehend, right? And this is the son of the promise that God said he's going to bless all nations through your descendant, through Isaac. And now he's being asked to go and offer him up as a sacrifice. So the first point in our message today, Abraham's test of faith begins by faith in God's character, trusting in who God is. It starts there. It's the same in our life. God is love, and James Chapter 2, verse 23 says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. Abraham knew that the, char- the character of God because he had a deep relationship with God. He knew the attributes and he trusted God's unchanging character. You don't see him as he responds. You don't see any argument, any comment. It's just obedience. <clears throat> so verse 3, Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men and, and with him and Isaac his son and he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. He rose early in the morning. There's no hesitation. Got up early and was about his business. Saddled his donkey, took two young men with him. And then I think it's interesting, so he has these people, he has servants with him, but yet he goes and splits the wood. At this time, he's over 100 years old, 110, 120 years old. We're not totally sure, but we know that he's well into his hundreds. He's out splitting wood in the morning, early in the morning. Something maybe somebody in Truckee would do. (laughs) But what this shows is that he took the responsibility for what God told him to do. He didn't delegate it to somebody else. He went and split the wood. The other thing about this verse is the burnt offering that he was called to do. A burnt offering was this offering where you had a large pile of wood, you sacrifice the animal, light on fire, everything is obliterated. There's nothing left. There's no useful part of the animal after this offering. And it was a very individual and personal thing. So can you imagine? I mean, it's one thing with an animal, but it's another thing with your son, the son that you love. On the third day... Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place in a distance. So they've been walking for three days with all this firewood, and the estimated distance is about 50 miles. I can't picture being 100 and 
15 or 120 walking 50 miles. That's just unbelievable. And Scripture doesn't really say what happens during this journey. There isn't a lot of dialogue, but you can only imagine what must be going through his mind. Abraham said to his young men, when, so they arrived there, he says to his young men, stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. I think it's interesting that he says, we will worship, when he's talking about the burnt offering and the sacrifice, that that in his mind was a spiritual act of worship. But then you also see his faith in saying that we will return to you. So he knew that God was going to do something, but they were both going to come back. He trusted in God's promise from early on in his life. Faith that, he was, that they were coming back. In Hebrews 11, I'm going to read this section here. In Hebrews, I'm going to start in uh, Hebrews 11, 17 through 19. I'll read it if you don't want to turn there. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He received the promise as he was offering his unique son, the one it had been, it, it had been said about, your seed will be traced through Isaac. He considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead, and as an illustration, he received him back. That's just incredible at this stage, that he has the faith in God that if he does what God asks him to do, that he trusts God so much that God will bring his son back to life because of the promise. And when you look at the life of Isaac, it's really kind of a foreshadowing in many ways of the life of Jesus, the only son that is being sacrificed. So as we continue on, kind of keep that in mind as, as you hear about Isaac in this story. <clears throat> Abraham. So we'll continue on verse 6. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife, and so the two of them walked together. So he laid the wood on Isaac, just like Jesus carried the cross, right? <clears throat> the other thing in this is kind of a joke, but this is a wise father here. He stacks the wood on his son, and he carries the knife and the fire. They're about to hike up the hill, and they've gone 50 miles. It's a smart dad. Isaac spoke to Abraham, <clears throat> his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, son. He used this word, Heneni, again, to his son. Here I am. I'm in agreement with you. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? So Isaac was old enough to carry the wood. Isaac was old enough to reason and understand, like, we've walked 50 miles. Where's the, where's the animal that we're going to sacrifice here? Where's the lamb? But do you see the conflict here in Abraham as his response to his son was the same as his response to God? Here I am, I'm in full agreement with you before you, you even ask me. It seems that there's a conflict and Abraham could be stuck between this promise and this command. But then you look at the faith of Abraham and realize he knew that God would work it all out. He knew that just being obedient to what God had asked him to do, that those two things were not in conflict, but that God was in control. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son, so the two of them walk together. Our second point in the message is this. To pass the test of life, we need to have faith in God's provision. God will provide everything that we need in order to do his will. Throughout my life, many times when I've thought about what God's calling me to do, a lot of times there's hesitation about how that's going to get done. But here this, this teaches us that he's going to provide. God will make a way and provide everything you need to do what he's asked you to do. Another quote that I heard regarding this is, and I love this, I think of this often, is God's will done in God's way will never lack God's provision. The things that God wants you to do, if you're doing the right thing, the way that God would have you do it, you will never lack the provision needed to accomplish that. <clears throat> Continuing on in verse 9. Then they came to a place of which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood, and he bound his son Isaac and laid him on top of the altar, on top of the wood. Now, we've talked about this a little bit throughout Scripture, but I think a lot of times when you hear this story, you think of it as like children's church and maybe like, uh, Isaac being a very young boy, but we know he was able to do 50-mile walk and then hike up the hill with all the wood necessary for this offering that he was much older and, and stronger than that. But you don't see any resistance to this. His dad, let's say he's 120 years old, and then a young teenage boy or early 20s didn't resist at all. 
similar to Jesus, right? Freely laid down his life. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And that's that word, Hanani, again. And he said, do not stretch out your hand against this lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your only son from me. And I just get this picture of him ready to bring down the knife on his son and God saying, stop. Now I know that you truly believe and you truly have faith. And this speaks to our actions. Our actions always reveal our true faith and what we truly believe. We always live it out in our actions. Continuing on in verse 13. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up as the burnt offering in place of his son. God spared Isaac and provided the ram. God saves us from our sins by providing the lamb, right? And I think it's interesting in this story that you never hear about this animal being stuck in these thorns and wrestling and trying to get free. And in Mexico, we see a lot of wild animals and we've seen some cows that have been stuck. We've had some goats that have tried to attack people. And, you know, they're just, they're crazy. This is not like a calm thing that you wouldn't notice. I would think that you would notice the ram there. Um, But maybe he was so focused on what God had called him to do and so um, wrapped up in that that he didn't see it. Um, Another person that I heard on this said, you know, maybe God created the ram right then at that moment because God could do that, right? But I choose to think that this ram was born, he was raised, he grazed, he traveled, he went on a journey, and he was prepared and brought to this place for this moment in time. Verse 15, Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. The third and final lesson from this is Abraham trusted God's plan. For us to pass the, the, the tests of faith, we need to trust in God's plan. He had knowledge and trust in God's identity, God's character, first point. He had faith in God's provision that God would provide, and he had faith in God's plan. And his actions revealed his true faith. As we wrap up the story, I want to go back to this word, Hineni. And um, for my wife and I, this has been something that's really helped us through some some tough times this last year and a half. Um, But it's incredible as we studied this word more, and I mentioned that it was eight times in the Old Testament, there's one of those times where the Bible uses this word, and it's the Lord saying Hineni to us. It's found in Isaiah 58, verses 6 through 9. Good trucky water. Is this not the fast which I choose, to loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke? Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into into the house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then your light will break out like the dawn and recovery will speedily spring forth and your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry, and he will say, Hineni, here I am in agreement with you. That's just such an incredible word. I mean, so amazing, just the depth of that, that God would be so in agreement with us when we're doing the things and have the heart that he has, the things that he cares about. He's in complete agreement. The other thing that I love about this is this idea of the Lord. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. And when I read over that, I kind of think, initially I thought, you know, God's got my back, you know, my rear guard. But I I thought about it more and more, and then I thought, you know, that means I'm out front, 
and I'm the one leading this thing. And as I looked at that translation, it means he will be your guard of all. He guards you on all fronts. It's not about us being in the front. It's all about him. And it's just such an amazing promise. So I would encourage you with that word. It's something for us that we want that to be the motto of our life, that we'll, we'll answer to God and we'll be ready to say yes to whatever God has for us. He is so good. His character is amazing. His love, his patience, his kindness, his grace is incredible. His provision, I mean, you can't fathom the, the provision, the promises that he has. Um, it's just amazing. And it's truly a testimony to what, what's been going on in Mexico. And um, I want to kind of wrap up with this. Is as I started, I talked about kind of the hesitation I had to answering God's call. And it was regarding my children and, and my kids and the way that I thought was best for them at that moment in time. And uh, I want to show you a picture of my daughter at two years old. This was her second birthday. So she had asked, all she wanted was babies for her birthday. So that's what she got from every single person was a baby. So she's surrounded by babies, and she is not having any fun at all. (laughs) This is what she gets to do now. These are some of the kids from the multiple orphanages that we're currently working with. And this is one of the shots I thought I'd throw my son in there because this is one time where we actually were able to catch him in focus because he's always running around. But um, the girl that's on his back is Amayani. And so she's in a couple of the pictures. She's here now. She's seven years old. When we first met her, she was 18 months. And my daughter just connected with her. They just, she just loved being around her. Every time we went to the orphanage, they were just inseparable. And um, a really amazing story of what God has done in their life. And this is a unique place. This is one of a kind. Um, it's, an, it's a rehab center for women on one side of the street. And then they have an orphanage across the street where the kids can live. So the women come voluntarily to get their life right. But the kids are able to live right across the street. The moms have time with them in the morning to prepare them for school. And then they have two hours in the afternoon that's family time, help with homework, bathe them, whatever that, that looks like on that particular day. Um, but it's a ministry that we learned about early on in Mexico. We loved it. We, we love the directors. So we partnered with them, and we've done a lot of our construction work there. And um, a lot of our teams, this is where Larry and Esther went, and they helped out, and they did the sewing class for the women at the rehab. For some of you who were on that trip, actually. And so the mom, Camarina, she graduated through. She got saved, graduated through the program, and then she decided to leave and go back to her boyfriend the father of her children. And when she got home, she realized that he had taken on a new girlfriend and she wasn't allowed there. She wasn't welcome anymore. And so, you know, she, being on the right path, wanted to go back to the one thing she knew that was good in her life. So she came back to the rehab center and she asked if she could volunteer at the children's home across the street. So she worked there for three years. And she had kind of given up on her husband or her boyfriend at that time. And uh, she said, you know, This is where God has me, and I'm just taking it one day at a time. What none of us knew about was what God was doing in that man's life. He ended up getting saved. He ended up starting to go to a church, getting plugged in, and then he found a job with a ministry that helps kids and does camp for orphans and youth groups. And and there's some other friends of ours, but none of us knew that this was going on until he showed up to work. And that camp is right down the street from this rehab. And it's on a dirt road way out in the south part of Ensenada, But then they connected, and she's like, what are you doing here? He'd never been out there, and this place is not a place that you would stumble upon. Um, But it was incredible. So she didn't believe him at first. She's like, you know, I want to see that this is real. Um, But they have reconciled. They have reconnected, and God has redeemed that relationship, and they're actually getting married this next month. And it's just an incredible thing. Yeah. So they're going to move off and do ministry as a family. And my daughter wanted to give Amayani this gift because she wasn't sure. She's like, I don't know if I'm going to see her again once they move. And um, the, the ministry they're working with is in another location now. So she wanted to give her this special doll and this horse that she got a couple birthdays ago and, and just loved. And you could just see the look on Amayani's face. 
It's just amazing. It's precious. And so this is one of many stories that we get to be part of um, through our work there. This is Camarina, the mom. And she's just, just an amazing woman. And uh, it's one of many stories. And they don't always end happy, right? And, and orphanage work is similar to foster care work where you deal with a lot of messy situations. There's a lot of brokenness in this world. And um, it doesn't always turn out like that, but praise God that it does. And there's times when that does happen. And, and that's a testimony to my life. And for me, I look at it, orphan care as we help orphans not because we are the rescuers, we're not the saviors, but because we were rescued by God. And that's why we do what we do. And at this point, I want to share our ministry update, but I also want to encourage you, if, if you've prayed for us, if you gave, if you've been, you're part of this church, this is part of your fruit. This is your ministry as well. So I don't want you to think of it as putting my wife or I or our kids on a pedestal. I want you to really, we're equals and this is part of your fruit. So if we could play the video, we'll show you. that The announcement is that on July 3rd, we purchased four and a half acres of land to build the Blessing Children's Home. So this property... You'll see right up, it's not green right now, but this time of year, John, when they came down with a youth group from SBC, did the drone footage for us. So you see the big piece of land there, there's the perimeter. What you see, the dirty gray thing is the big water tank right there on the bottom of the screen. So it's 30 feet by 36 feet and seven feet deep for our water storage from the well. And then that little structure we're gonna knock down that's on that foundation and we're going to build our house so that we can move on site and begin construction. That's the well right there with the makeshift cover that they had. Yeah, praise God. So there's a couple other pictures that I just wanted to kind of point out, and we have a master plan. Whoops. Let's see, right after, okay, here we go. <clears throat> For those of you that are not familiar with our ministry and with the Blessing Children Home specifically, our mission to glorify Jesus by providing excellent individualized care for orphans, vulnerable children, and widows in need. Our goal, our model is to provide a, a safe and loving family environment for every child in our care. And I'll speak to that a little more when we talk about the houses. To be a light and a blessing to our community to provide opportunities for teams to come and serve and experience God in a new way. One of the things that's amazing about this property, so we had, we had one that fell through about a year and a half ago, and it was a little over two acres, and it had everything that we wanted. We thought, man, this is amazing. Like, this is the, the, the land that we should get. Like, this is God's will. And that didn't work out. The owners decided that, as we got to the final stages of, of the process, that they didn't want to subdivide the land. And they had two-thirds that were going to be remaining right next to us. And the sisters in this family felt like if we build an orphanage, that it would devalue the remaining land that they had and that they wouldn't be able to sell that property. So they backed out, and uh, we were heartbroken. And we are like, man, we've been looking for land. We've looked all over. It's actually a lot harder to find than you can imagine. Um, land that has water, that has electricity, that has the things that you would need to raise kids well. Um, so a friend of ours, Amber's good friend from her women's Bible study, encouraged her and said, you know what? God's going to provide. He has something else. And I'm going to pray that God gives you a double portion. And uh, lo and behold, we got four and a half acres. It's incredible. Yeah, it's, it's just amazing. So this is hard to look at. I understand this is our architectural plans. So like I said, we just signed on July 3rd. So um, our full rendering isn't done yet. But what you see here, this orange rectangle there is the first step. And when, when I get back home, um, that's where you saw the foundation, the building that's there. It's pretty beat up. So we're going to knock that down. This will be about a 1,200 square foot home, three bedrooms for our family to be able to move on site. And then teams that come down, this will be dorms for teams and groups that want to come and help with the rest of this project. And then our first phase is the blue rectangle that you see. This is the baby home right here. So right as you come in the entrance, the baby house, 
There's a laundry room and storage, and then there's a common kitchen area. And then all these other buildings surrounding are the dorms or that. They're the homes for the families. So our model, we want to have six to eight kids per home with Christian parents raising those children. So it's completely unique from what anything that we've seen down there. Most of the homes are um, parents with 20 to 25 kids, and they're completely stretched to the max. They're understaffed. They're underfunded. And there's a lot of challenges with that. And um, we learned a lot from what's successful in foster care and some of the things that we've learned in the U.S. um, to help shape our model, but that's our goal. So we would have, at full capacity, 48 children in our care with nine babies additional in the baby house. And so a lot of times questions come up, you know, where do these kids come from? Are they true orphans? You know, what's the situation in Mexico? And, And those are all very valid. And so it's very similar to foster care here where CPS will take a kid away for abuse, abandonment, neglect, those terrible situations. They have a similar thing in Mexico, and it's DEEF. It's their uh, social services that removes children. Um, There are situations where there are orphan kids. Most of them are not true orphans in the sense that they've lost both parents to death. Um, Many of the cases are men that are completely out of the picture or are in prison or were extremely abusive, and then a lot of times the moms who are on drugs and alcohol who are not fit to take care of their children. So you can imagine what that looks like. Um, But we feel like God has given us this vision, and it's the healthiest way that we could see um, in raising these kids. And our goal with the baby house is there is in-country adoptions. So it's, it's a lot easier for Mexican nationals to adopt within Mexico. It's extremely difficult to adopt from the U.S., um, children from Mexico. The process is about two years, and you need to live in Mexico for six months. So imagine, I mean, how restrictive that is for people that want to adopt from Mexico. Um, So our goal, though, would be to care for these babies, to prepare them for adoption, to prepare them for family reunification, if that is available, and then if not, to provide the best possible home um, on site and, and through our care. So a few other things here in the middle is all like the playground, fun area, trees, things like that. This is the place where we're in a very small community. There's not a church big enough. So this could be an outside um, church service area. This could be where groups do events, things like that um, right here. And then this back area that's kind of a weird shape in in the puzzle is area where we can have animals, do farming, and then work on vehicles. And it's behind our water tank, so kind of keep the kids away from that area for safety. And then the road would go around the perimeter, and everything up here is on the top of the hill, so everything would just flow downhill. The water, gravity fed to the houses, the septic, all that fun stuff would be at the bottom. This is kind of a model that we like of, you know, not to say that it's going to look this nice and clean, but um, as far as the layout, it gives you an idea of the vision of, of what we would like the, the baby house to look like with a check-in area, a play area, and then rooms in the back for three, three babies at a time. So that's kind of the floor plan model that we like right there. And then um, just so you know, because that other picture is kind of hard to look at, so this is the road that we come in now, and then the road will lead up here to where the dorms will be. This is where our house will be. So this is our first step is getting us on site. And then the well is right here, and there's tons of water in it. We're going to pump the water up to here, and then everything else will flow down to the houses. And then this whole area will be the kids' play area. And then the animals and everything in the back. Sorry, I'm not doing it on both sides. (laughs) This side is totally confused now, right? (laughs) So a couple other pictures. Um, But none of this would happen without your support, without your help. And um, even for us to be able to purchase the land, I spoke here about 18 months ago, and there were some very generous people that got on board and believed in our vision and believed what we were going to do that that made significant contributions to help us to make this purchase possible. Um, So I just want to thank you. I want to to thank you for being part of it. Thank you for praying for us. And um, a couple of quick things, ways that you can get involved, and then Jesse's going to be coming up. We have our once-a-year fundraiser in Roseville. Um, so my wife's family's from down there. We have a lot of friends. That's where we live. That's why it's in Roseville. Um, 
But it's a great event. It's a ton of fun. We have a live auction, a silent auction. There's a fun to need. There's a great Mexican dinner. There's a church down there that provides that for us. It's amazing food. Um, you're all invited to come and be part of that. It's a Saturday night from 5 to 9. And I have these out at the table if you're interested in being part of that. And then secondly, these are our cards for you to get involved. So if you feel like God wants you to be part of this in a deeper way, this is our Get Involved card. It has four simple things. Um, Pray. It's a prayer card. So you can put this wherever it's going to help you to remember to pray for the children, for the people that we serve in Mexico, and, and for our family. Also, the ways that you can give if you want to be partners with us financially. Um, It has the three different options on how you can do that. And you can also give through the church here. And then to share, if you're on social media and you want to follow and be updated, that you have all the information you need there for Facebook and Instagram. And then if you want our newsletters, you can sign up. You just go to our website and it will ask you if you want to subscribe. And you enter in your email and it's the simplest thing ever. Our website's on there and our email contact is on there as well. So I would encourage you, I have enough for everybody. If you guys want one of these, they'll be on the table on your way out. Please feel free to grab one. If you want to give one to somebody, um, we need to grow our support. And this is a big vision. Uh, Someone else that Jesse and I spoke with two weeks ago said, you know, they were really excited at the end of our conversation. And he said, you know, I really want to get behind things that are God things. That the only way it happens is by God. The only way that this can be done is, is... through him and all the glory goes to him. So just encourage you to to partner with us further with that. Thank you so much. Um, So, you know, Travis is here in part, when we think of people that we support, uh, it just makes sense. And when you're looking at a guy who went to high school here, played trucky football here, became a Christian here. This church invested in him close to 20 years ago. And to think of a guy who, because I, I know him really well, and we probably know each other more than we wish we knew each other. And, um, and uh, Amen. <laughs> um, you're looking at a guy who grew up fatherless, who heard the message of Jesus Christ and reconciled us to the perfect father. And was so touched by that reconciliation that he was open to take a step of faith to be an example to children of what it looks like to be fathered by the father of all fathers and to be loved and accepted in a way that is unfathomable, really, when you think about it. I was just having a conversation with Brad Beers on the deck about how difficult it is to love your children because you know them. And, and at times you want to just say, like, every parent, I think, wants to say, yeah, I love my kids. But then you're honest sometimes. You're like, sometimes, no, I don't. 8.30 at night, I'm, I'm not so in love with my children. And, um, but, he lo- but, but God loves us perfectly, and we are just as rebellious, just as short-sighted. We throw just as many fits. I know you've become a little bit, you know, better at it. You're a little more refined in the way that you complain, but you do it. And the Lord still loves us. And, uh, and so it makes sense. It also makes sense because it's easy for us to mobilize people to go from here to there. And as he mentioned, there's going to be lots of opportunities for us to go. And, and that God has called us to reach the world. And when we, when we have somewhere that's accessible like Mexico, it's a taste of going out to the rest of the globe. Like it doesn't end in Mexico. It doesn't end in Truckee or the Tahoe Basin. It goes beyond. Um, and so I want to just ask you to consider to support Travis, uh, not only just in prayer, but also financially. The, the, one of the biggest needs they have is immediately they need to build a house so they can live on the facility. $30,000 is what they need to, for materials, just materials alone. They'll have people come down and help build. And some of you might have the ability to just write that $30,000 check. Some of you might have a couple thousand dollars or a couple hundred dollars, whatever it is that God's calling you to do. But it would be awesome to know that we played a part in that. And our church has already got behind them. I know the last time he spoke, not even through the church, someone, uh, several individuals handed him close to $10,000 to help accomplish this vision. When they were trying to purchase the property, uh, they were $25,000 short of their, of, their, of their goal at year's end. 
and an anonymous donor from our church, without them even knowing that, gave $25,000 to close on the property. And so, so if you showed that map, we technically own about a <laughs> fifth of, <clears throat> um, We own some of that property, so. So that uh, means somebody <laughs> needs to be mowing. <laughs> yeah, somebody's got Just it. saying. <laughs> um, but uh, we want to get behind them, and, and I would just also say, for those of you who already have, because several of you have, uh, thank you for doing that, because it's, it's worth it. And I just think back of, for that individual who looked at me in my eyes and said, you're not worth the investment. And I think, man, what a bummer for that guy to not be a part of this and to not be a part of kingdom growth. And that's, I'm not manipulating you on that. I'm just telling you the honest truth. God invites us into something, and then we get to say we did it together. And, and we are. We're family. We get to do this together. So if you would, would you stand with me as the worship team comes up? And let's pray over Travis and Amber and his kids and uh, that God would be good to them, bless them, and continue to put grace upon them. Let's pray. Lord, um, I, I step back, and I think of my own past, and I think of Travis's past, and I'm sure both of us together standing before you would indeed have to confess that we are not worthy, that, Lord, there is nothing that we have done to obtain salvation. There's nothing we ever could have done to be reconciled to you. And yet, Lord, not only have you taken two kids from two broken backgrounds in one area, not only have you saved us in spite of us, in spite of our stories and our backgrounds, but Lord, you've been gracious enough to invite us into your eternal work. And I stand before you, Lord, and I just say, God, thank you for allowing us to be a part of something so valuable and so worthwhile. Lord, we never would have thought in a million years you would have done such a thing. And Lord, now you you extend that invitation for every Christian to take a step of faith, to walk with you in eternity, to understand and to know that they are not worthy, but they are so tremendously loved anyways. I pray, Lord, that in our time of closing and worship that you would be near us that you would minister to us, that we would feel your presence in a way that is palpable, Lord. I pray for Travis and Amber as they leave from California here and uh, head down to Mexico tomorrow. Would you bless them? Would you guard them? And would you protect them? And would many Hispanic, young, beautiful baby boys and girls come into the saving grace of Jesus Christ through their ministry? And we trust you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.